As we continue in Galatians, we're close to wrapping up, and I want to let you know that we'll start a new series towards October and November, which will lead us into um, Advent season. It's all, it's almost here already. And that series was we called Broken People, Whole God. And we'll be looking throughout Scripture at people who are broken, but how the whole God, the truth God, the one who is all powerful, almighty, has poured himself, poured himself into those people to make them whole again. And so that'll be what we're coming up to as we get close to finishing this book of Galatians. I can let you know that as I was studying and thinking about this passage uh, for the last few weeks, um, what kept going through my head is this. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. A peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where's the peck of picked peppers, pickled peppers, that Peter Piper picked? Now, how I learned it was how many peppers did Peter Piper pick? It's a peck is how much he picked. It's right there. The, The deeper question is where? Where are all these pickled peppers that Peter Piper picked? Or, or perhaps maybe this is actually better for us here, where we live in Fremantle. She shells, she shells by the seashore. It really is a tongue twister, right? It, it's something that is sort of there. And as I continued to look at this passage, I just couldn't help but go to Romans 7. So let me read that to you. You've maybe heard this before. says this, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, so no long, so it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is the flesh, for I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You see, we're at a place in Galatians where Paul is looking at life. He's been arguing back and forth with these Judaizers, these ones who have said, no, the law is important, or what Moses is adding, these ones who have said, it's Jesus plus something else. And he's continued to work through that. If you remember last week, we talked about the fact that he pushes in and he says, no, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love, that you are in Christ. You have the ability to cry out for freedom. Because of what Christ has done. That it's only His work that makes us whole. And though we rest in that tongue twister of life. The things I know I should do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those things I seem to keep on doing. We have this desire, perhaps, to be the better man or the better woman. To have our faith working itself out in love if you're a follower of Christ. Maybe if you're not, maybe it's just to be better. (laughs) To have a better life. To be seen as somebody who's good. To be accepting. We build it up in some way. And what Paul is doing is here is he's going to contrast what we perceive as our present reality and he's going to show us what our truth reality is. 
He's going to move us from that place that we are like, why does this happen? Why can't I not do this? What is it in me? What is it about me? What is it about me? And he's going to move us to the place that said, Christ. Christ. And how it's done is it's showing us works of the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, our hearts go, yes! (laughs) A list! (laughs) A list that I can tick off. I don't do that one. I don't do that one. Kind of good at this one. Kind of good at this one. But that's not what Paul's point is for us in this. As a matter of fact, it's far from the point. Now, when we look at this sinful nature, we're reminded very quickly from Paul. He says, look, walk by the Spirit. Don't gratify the flesh. For the desires of the spirit are against or the spirit are against those of the flesh, and the desires of the flesh are against those of the spirit. And we sort of feel like there's this sort of dualistic good angel, bad devil sitting on our shoulder. And who are we supposed to listen to? But by the end of this, we're going to see that Paul says, No, that's not the case in you. That's not the case in you, and I've provided for you protection. I've provided for you a new, true reality. But what we do want to do is we want to look at these lists because they do reveal something for us. So the first thing we need to recognize about these works of the flesh, these plural things, is that it's not an exhaustive list. As a matter of fact, Paul says it himself. He says, and things like this at the end of it. So he's not saying all these things, if you avoid all these things, you're good. What he's saying is there's something underneath them. Now, you really can break this list up into a few different ways. One of the ways that you can look at them is that the first few are sexual sins, that they have to do with our our, our physicality, our desires in that way. There's a couple that deal with false worship and witchcraft, or false religion. Then there's a larger bunch that deals with relational issues. You can see them there. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And then the last bunch, that drunkenness and orgies, are actually about overindulgence. Right? It's that sense of there might be something good that God has provided, but but I overindulge, I go, I take it beyond. And the reality, too, is when he says desires of the flesh, he's saying over-desire. Relationships are good. Worship is good. Our sexual relationship is good. But an over-desire of that, moving it from a thing to the thing in our life. And we can real easily begin to look at this list and go, yeah, okay, I've got it. I see them. I really struggle with a few of these. Some of us probably look at it this way. Well, some of those have to do with people who don't know who Jesus is, and maybe some of them have to do with people who know who Jesus is. Right? Like, obviously, witchcraft, right, is not somebody who knows Jesus, but envy, definitely somebody who maybe knows Jesus. That there maybe is a separation between religious people and non-religious people. Which is good for Paul to do here, if that's the way he was breaking it down, because, in fact, he's dealing with religious people and non-religious people in the book. 
those who have this sort of idea that we've got to follow circumcision and we've got to follow the laws and we've got to follow all the dietary things. And him standing back going, no, that's not it. But also don't give yourself over to the flesh. Don't just do any willy-nilly kind of thing that you want. But I think when we dig a little bit deeper, when we look at what's going on in this list, that it's not just about us checkmarking something, ticking a box, but that we can see that within this list we're seeing a manifestation of our inward trueness. That when we go towards these desires of the flesh, that those things that are external that get seen, those broken relationships, that anger, that overindulgence, that they're really just a manifestation of an inward trueness that is in us. It's really a call for us to look at a motivational level of our sin rather than just a behavioral level of our sin. What we have to do, and it's hard for us to do on our own, is we have to move from seeing our sin as just a moral mistake and recognize that it's more about a mistake of who we are and seeing whose we are. That it's not necessarily all about this external thing, but really much more about what we believe about ourselves and believe about God and who He is. Richard Rohr puts it this way, that there is a believed or chosen autonomy from God and others. That's what leads us to sin. And that is what needs to be addressed. Wright says this, It's a matter of where our true identity lies, where our deepest motivation comes from, and where the power that rules our life really is found. Let's look at it this way. You pour a glass of milk for somebody who asks for a glass of milk. And you hand them that glass of milk. As they grab that glass of milk, they spill that glass of milk. And you have a reaction towards that. Now, you might look at that glass of milk being spilled, and your reaction might be, Oh no! I cannot believe you spilled that glass of milk. You have wasted that milk. And you become angry. Or, your reaction might be, oh, I didn't hand it to him correctly, that was my fault, and I better go clean that up very quickly. Some of you might be thinking, why did they choose a glass of milk? Milk is terrible for you. It is awful, and you should never have it. And you look at them as you're handing them that glass of milk. One, because they've asked for it and you don't want to be rude, but at the same time, your eyes are filled with disdain at the fact that they're drinking milk. Now, externally, it looks like somebody raising their voice. It looks like somebody running around to clean up. It looks like somebody looking at somebody in a very mean way. And we could go, well, they're angry, or they're overly pleasing, (laughs) taking a victim approach to life, or they think they're better than everybody else. But what's the motivation underneath? The person who gets angry 
Their motivation is probably the fact that they think nobody should ever do anything wrong because they don't. And they become angry because how could you offend me in such a way? Now, it's hard for us to recognize that on the surface, but deep down we've put ourselves in the place of God saying, I deserve for you to acknowledge how good I am for giving you this milk and the fact that you've spent it, spilt it as an affront to me as the provider of your milk. Or... Perhaps the person who's running across is so concerned about what people think that approval is so important to them that they think, oh, that person is, is, is going to be angry at me that I, I've caused them to spill milk and it's gotten on their clothes. Oh, that person is going to think worse of me because I don't know how to hand a glass of milk properly. And really underneath it all is this fact that they feel like they're unloved and unlovable. Or the person who looks at disdain just thinks they're right all the time. That I've decided what's true in this world. And everybody better get in line with me. Oh, sure, sure, I'll put up with people who are ignorant. But they'll come around. See, it's not the external behavior. It's the internal motivation of those things. It's that fleshiness that we walk around in. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says this. He points it out very squarely for us. Chapter 7, starting in verse 18, he says, And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever comes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile the person. So when we see this list, it's not about us Checking our behavior. It's about checking our identity. It's about checking what motivates us, what moves us, what compels us, what reality we try to live in. And then he takes a step further. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit are these. Now, the great thing about that word fruit is that it is singular. It's not plural. We're not talking about multiple different fruits. This is not some amazing tree that has apples and oranges and bananas and coconuts and pomegranates and other things on it. It's one fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And it shows itself, it manifests itself in multiple ways. And so for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have been captured by Him, those of us who moved into a whole relationship with Him, we must move ourselves to the inward and outward truth that we are in Christ, walking in the Spirit as a new creation because of the crucifixion and the resurrection. These fruits are all the same Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. Now the reality is, is for some of us, we possess those as personality traits. Maybe I should say some of you possess those as personality traits. There are places in your life where you're just gentle. You by nature, by God's design and creation, are gentle. That's awesome. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit are supernatural. They're beyond our ability. They are, are taking our, even our natural inclinations and transforming them to something that is far beyond us. They're beyond our conception and our understanding. They are the things that form us and conform us into the very image of Christ. That when we see Christ, we know love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I want you to notice something, too, about this fruit of the Spirit. Is it something that drives us relationally? It's deep down. It's the thing that causes us to be able to interact with people in wholeness and interact with ourselves in wholeness and interact with God in wholeness. That yes, I love you. And oftentimes our love comes because we get something for it. But this supernatural fruit of the Spirit is a love that says, even if I receive nothing, even if I receive anger back, I love you. See, this fruit of the Spirit comes to us as we stand in a place of receiving. We can't walk into this place believing that we've got it all. We have to walk into it empty, in a place of receiving, and believing and knowing that God will move in us. We also have to recognize that just like any fruit, it doesn't grow fast. It grows slowly in us. It takes time for these things to be made. So the fruit of the Spirit, yes, we see it manifesting itself in us. We see it moving. We see it guiding our hearts. Why? Because we have this love, this supernatural love for God and for ourselves and for others that we begin to see sin in our lives. And it says, no, what's underneath that? What is this behavioral thing that I've done, but what's underneath it? It's love for everyone. It's love for ourselves and love for God and love for each other that pushes us to the place of going, I'm not going to live on the surface anymore. I'm going to dig down to the motivations. And so the fruit of the Spirit moves us to battle, quite honestly, against the flesh. Paul puts it this way. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, put to death, killed. It's the reason why earlier in Galatians 2 he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in and through me. 
that as the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow in our life, begins to manifest itself, it breaks through those external manifestations of that inward reality of sin in our lives and pushes it aside to the point of killing it. That doesn't mean that you'll be perfect. Far from it. Matter of fact, it means that you'll recognize how imperfect you are. Because it's in a place of receiving mercy, grace, truth, love, that we're able to step into these fruit in a more regular basis. I read this week this. Jesus is never upset at a sinner. He's only upset with people who don't think they are sinners. Paul put it this way in Romans. Remember we read the tongue twister of chapter 7 where he gets himself all tied up. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that that is in my flesh for I have the desires to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do but the evil I do not want to do. These things I keep on doing. Now Now what I do not want... It is no longer I who don't do it, but it is the sin that dwells in me. So I find that this law is at fact work that I want to do right, but evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in me. Wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. And we're trapped there. And then he says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation. There is no, you are evil. You are bad. You are unworthy. There's no way you can do this. There's none of that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we've been moved from the works of the flesh to life in the Spirit. We've been moved to having fruit that is abundant, that is overflowing, that is more than we could ever imagine. And in that, He doesn't just leave us to ourselves. Paul goes on in Galatians to remind them that if we are now living by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. So, if you are living by the Spirit, keeping step with the Spirit, you can't become conceited, you can't provoke one another, and you cannot envy one another. If we are in the Spirit, God has united us together. So I no longer feel like I'm better than anybody else. I no longer feel like I've got to bring people down so that they're on my level. And I no longer envy them and say, if I could only be like that person. Why? Because what it does is it walks us back into the flesh where we build dissension and division. And what we've seen in Galatians over and over again is that God is building us into unity. That in our diverseness, in all of our life stories, in all that we are, is that God is drawing us together in unity. And so he says the fruit of the Spirit will build you into a place where you don't compare yourself to anyone. Why? Because when you see someone else, you see them as Christ. And you see yourself 
in Christ as well. It breaks it down for us. It gives us the ability to move beyond this surface level of living. Now let me just say, don't get me wrong, the surface is nice. Surface of the ocean is a little bit warmer than underneath. Surface of your bed, when it's nice and toasty, when you've turned on that electric blanket and it's cold outside, it's really nice. Surface relationships are good. Why? Because you can laugh and you can have fun and nobody gets hurt. The creator of the world, who from its very core knows everything that there is about it, everything that there is to know about creation, does not long for us to be on the surface. He longs for us, just like the tree that has to bear this fruit of the Spirit. He longs for our roots to go deep. And so that requires for us, those of us who have decided to spend our lives together, it requires for us to get into each other's lives. Because if I don't know who you are, and I'm not trying to love you with this supernatural love, which I can't do myself, I have to allow the Spirit to do it, with this supernatural patience, with supernatural faithfulness, with this supernatural goodness, with this supernatural self-control. If I don't do that, then we won't know one another. Really. We'll know about one another. And when I know just about you, I have a tendency to think I'm better than you, or to try and pull you down, or to be envious of what you have. And so God calls us that we bear fruit together, just like an orchard. We bear fruit together. Did you know that avocados, if you buy one, won't bear fruit? You have to have two avocado trees to get fruit. I've known somebody who's had an avocado tree, one, always wondering where their fruit was until they Googled it and realized they needed a second one. I can't be a Christian on my own. I can't follow Christ. I can't be in Christ by myself. I won't bear fruit. We need one another. And that's where God pushes us. He moves us beyond in this. And how beautiful it is that He has given us in Christ and made us new creations so that we can bear His fruit for His kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, You are good and holy and mighty to us. We pray that these words that I have spoken today, that they will be Your words and that they will not return to You void. But if they are not Your words, that they will burn up and that they will not receive any place in our heart. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.